in honor of James' practicality in the New Testament, I th we, we thought we would give you some tips every week, practical tips that hopefully you can take and use and, and help you out. So uh, here's a couple for this week, all right? And last week, after sharing with you about locking the keys in the rental car, I had uh, more than one person tell me about ideas that they have about trying to protect themselves from locking their keys in the car. And the best one probably is to make a spare key and tuck it in your wallet. And that way, if you ever lock your keys out, you've got one in your wallet or your purse and you can uh, unlock the car. That's if you're not in the habit of locking your wallet in the car as well, which some people do. You might look for some other place to keep it. Here's another one. This, this is the one that just really gets me. I had never heard this before. And one of the fellows in the church had heard it for years. He'd never tried it until just uh, a short time ago. And he told me again this week that he'd done it a second time. And it worked both times. If you have pine trees on your property that you ever trim, then you know that it, you don't have to trim very long before you get pine tar all over your hands. And if you've ever tried to get pine tar off your hands, that is no easy job. Do you know what you can use to get pine tar off your hands? Mayonnaise. Seriously, he said, you, you know, you just take a scoop of mayonnaise. You, use a spoon. Don't, don't just reach in there with the pine tar on your hand. But use a spoon, you know, scoop up the mayonnaise, rub it. And he said, it takes the pine tar off. Now, here's my question. Who thought about trying that the first time? You know, I got pine tar on my head. Where is that mayonnaise anyway? I mean, who thinks about mayonnaise? And I'm assuming it's not the fat-free kind. It probably has to be the real thing. But there's your tip for the week. The next time you're out trimming your pine trees, keep the mayonnaise jar handy. It will take the pine tar right off your hands. In his very practical way, James addresses a couple issues that are as sticky as pine tar this morning. And so we want to take a look at chapter 1 beginning in verse 19. And, and James does a unique job of blending both of these things together here in a very unique sort of way. And so the first problem he addresses is this, the problem of not listening enough, okay? The problem of not listening enough. Now read with me, beginning in verse 19. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone, stop right there. If you've already checked out and you think, oh, this passage isn't going to apply to my life, come right back. James says, this is for everyone. There's not a person in his reading audience who was exempt of what he was about to say. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Poor choices progressively lead to one disaster after another. Results are never good. Choices have consequences. And in one sentence, James gives us a simple yet profound way to demonstrate spiritual maturity and to nurture a great relational skill. And the three imperatives are in the right order. If you get them out of this order, they don't work. Be quick to listen when others speak, be slow to respond, and be even slower to become angry. Our actions and choices have consequences. When you don't listen well, you tend to talk more. When you talk more, you tend to be unwise in what you say. When you are unwise in what you say, it causes others to react negatively. When others react negatively, you get angry. And when you get angry, you get a grandson with a dog collar. 
See how it works? Now let's take a quick look, a closer look at what James says because this is important for us to get. Be quick to listen. Someone wisely quipped, you can win more friends with your ears than you can with your mouth. Good communication begins with the ears. Even under the best of circumstances, researchers tell us that 20% of all communication is misunderstood because we aren't good listeners. Even in the best, one-fifth of all of our conversation is missed because of the ears. So if I want to improve in this area, I must give careful attention to the Word of God. In other words, listen to what God has to communicate to my life. Now, everything I need and you need for developing spiritual maturity is contained in the Scriptures. That is not to suggest that every situation in your life is specifically addressed in the Scriptures, but there are tools given to us in Scriptures that can be applied to every situation in life. The Bible speaks and gives us wisdom on attitudes, marriage, parenting, working relationships, friendships, worship, work, leisure, materialism, benevolence, and the list goes on and on. Learn to listen carefully to what God has to say. And if I want to improve in this area, I must also give careful attention to what trusted friends and family may have to say or in other words, listen to the wisdom of others as they speak into my life as well. You see, those who we love and trust can provide wise counsel. They know us better than we know ourselves. And even, even those whose company we don't enjoy, do you have anybody in that list? You don't enjoy their company, but when they speak into your life, listen because there may be a grain of truth in what they say as well. Proverbs 27, 17, you know well, it simply says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So listen to those you love, even when the words hurt a bit. Because you see, when you take a knife and you're going to sharpen that and you rub it across a whetstone or you rub it against a piece of metal that is designed to sharpen the blade, there is friction there. As a matter of fact, just fine particles come off of that knife blade until it is honed sharp again. It's not an easy task to listen. It can be painful. But when you listen well, you'll learn. Those around us don't deserve our blame for what they say. They just deserve our ears. Be quick to listen. And be slow to speak. Sometimes you can make a more effective statement by holding your tongue. It is estimated that the average person has approximately 30 conversations during the course of a day. We speak enough words in those 30 conversations to fill a 60-plus page manuscript single-spaced. And since we spend so much time each day using words, the words we use ought to be important to us. So, take your time before you speak. Why? Because if you don't take your time, you're going to say something you wished you hadn't said. Taking your time gives you the chance to mentally, intellectually process what you're about to say. Because when you just lash it out there, when you just throw it out there, once those words leave your mouth, you can't take them back. You can apologize for them. You can regret that you ever said them. You can try to spin it to make it not sound so bad. But I'm telling you, once they're out, they're out, and you can't get them back. So be slow to speak so that you can think about what you're going to say. And then be slow to become angry. 
Uncontrolled anger works against the life that God desires for us. I like what actor Chuck Norris said. He said, men are like steel. When they lose their temper, they lose their worth. When you feel yourself losing your temper, when you're about to blow a gasket, you can count to ten if you want to. But in my experience, that just delays the inevitable for ten seconds. When you're about to lose your temper, you need more than just numbers. May I suggest that if you struggle with anger, if, if you have real anger issues, you need to get some professional help, first of all. Anger issues can be indicative of other problems in your life. So if you really struggle with anger issues, get some professional help for that. Will you please? Because everybody around you is suffering. But if you're the, if you're the normal person who everyone well just kind of loses their temper, try this idea. Okay? It's not foolproof, but it helps. It's better than counting. Either on a three by five card or on your smart, smartphone, on the note page section of your smartphone, put down some scriptures that deal with anger. And when you start feeling yourself bubbling, just open your smartphone or take out that three by five card and read the scriptures. Now you can pick any one of them that you want, but I've got three of them here that, that, that I particularly like out of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a, but a patient man calms a quarrel. Proverbs 16, 32, better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. Proverbs 29, 11, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. Now, it may not keep you from getting mad, but it's a lot harder to read such words from God and not have it apply. It's easy when you just count to 10 to just go ahead and explode. But let the Word of God speak to you. Just do it, will you? Listen more, talk less, and be very slow to become angry. Now, here's the next main problem that, that James lists. The first one was the problem of, of not listening enough. Here's the next problem. The problem of listening too much. <laughs> and you're saying, What? You, you, you tell us we don't listen enough, now you tell us we listen too much. What kind of doublespeak is this? It's not doublespeak. It's just James taking a concept and tying two of these concepts together around the concept of listening. He's a master at this craft. So take a look at, at verses 22 and following. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Just do it. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by this world. This is God's call to action. Just as James challenges us to listen to others, so God desperately wants us to listen to him. But not just listen to put action behind our words. Listen, but don't just listen. Talk, but don't just talk. Do what the Word tells us to do. It's the doing that counts. There's an old expression that goes like this. 
What you do speaks so loudly I can't hear what you say. In other words, it was written to try and, and point out people's hypocrisy. But I want you to hear it from a positive side. That when you do the right thing, people will want to hear the right thing. You see, it's, you can talk all you want, but, but people aren't ready to listen until they see the action behind the words. So positively, you do the action, and then people will be ready to listen to what you say. Because words are cheap. It's the doing that counts. Just do it. James begins with a warning about using the wrong kind of mirror. Have you ever stopped to think about how many mirrors you got in the house? You ever counted how many? Have you ever counted how many times you stop by and look at yourself in the mirror? You know, now what, what's really interesting is that when James writes, probably most households didn't have, uh, maybe, maybe some of them didn't have a mirror at all. Mirrors are not like they are today with the polished uh, glass, uh, the, the silver on the back. They were really just polished pieces of metal. And so you, you didn't get a real clear image and you wouldn't have had very many but that's not the issue. That's not what James is talking about. It's not how many mirrors you got. It's not how many times you look in the mirror. You know, it's the reflection you're using for comparison. That's the problem. You see, when I look in a mirror, I'm only comparing myself with myself. Unless something cataclysmic has taken place during the night, when I get up in the morning, I'll look pretty much the same as I have every morning for a long time. And the aging process is so slow that we don't see it happening like that. And so I'll look in the mirror, I'll get cleaned up, I'll leave the house, I won't think about it anymore. Here's the point. I don't need to be looking at myself from a standpoint of improving my life because that's a low standard. When I just look at my own life and compare myself to myself, I can say, hey, you know, I'm not doing so bad after all. Now, I know some people out there who aren't doing it quite as good as I'm doing. It's, it's okay. It's okay. And I can deceive myself into thinking everything's okay. And unless you have a magic mirror like the Wicked Queen in Snow White that will honestly point out your flaws, you're going to be content with what you see when you look at your own reflection and compare yourself with yourself. James, however, says don't do that. You look into the perfect law. Let that be a reflection of your, of your life. You see, it's my point of personal evaluation that that's the problem. James wants us to look into the Word of God, which isn't a magic mirror on the wall, but it nevertheless does honestly and consistently point out my failures and my flaws and where I need improvement. So stop comparing yourself with yourself. Check yourself against the Word of God. Check yourself against the character of God. Check yourself against the life of Jesus Christ. That's what James says really makes a difference. When your improvements are based on God's standards, then you're maturing. And in verse 25, James refers to this law of liberty, which is also the royal law in chapter 2, which is also the great commandment of the Gospels, to love the Lord our God and to love others. It's the biblical principle that gave birth to our vision, yes, to love. It's not an option, people. Uh, right attitudes, which come when we listen to God's Word, give way to right actions, which come when we practice God's Word. We must be quick to listen, but we must also be quick to act. When God speaks, let us follow with obedience. Hearing without doing is just wrong. So do it. Just do it. And notice the criteria for action. Let me quote verse 25 again. 
religion that God, uh, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Very simply, James says, help others and help yourself. You want genuine religion, not this phony fake stuff that none of us like? You want genuine religion? Then help others and help yourself. James specifically mentions the orphans and widows in distress. In the first century, orphans and widows were basically the most helpless people in the world. And James says, you, you want to practice what God teaches, then you look for the most helpless among you and make a difference. If he were writing today, that might be the way he'd put it. He might just say, look around you. Who's the most hopeless and helpless in your sphere of influence? Look for that person and then lend a helping hand and make a difference in their life. Most of the time, it doesn't take great strategy or great strength. It just takes a matter of doing it. You know, I don't need a big strategy when I see somebody in need. I just need to do something about their need. I just need to do it. And I am so good at ex making excuses. I am so good at assuming, well, if I don't do it, somebody else will do it. I'm so good about letting myself off the hook when it comes to doing it. I'm going to show you a video clip that uh, Tim Thompson encouraged me to, to show, uh, as well as some of our media team. Now, I, I do this with some reticence and reluctance uh, because it involves my granddaughter, uh, Addison, and um, I don't want you to think that I'm going to be doing this every week. Oh, we've got to see another video about Tom's grandkids. You know, that. I would enjoy it, but, but I know that, that that's not right. But it wouldn't matter if it was Addie or somebody else. The story in, in what she does is a lesson of what James is trying to communicate. Let me set up what's happening here. Uh, Emily and Matt have gone over to see Rebecca and Eric at their house, and Uncle Matt pretends that he can't walk. And here's how Addie comes to the rescue. When I watch that video, I'm reminded why Jesus said, unless you become as little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. There's something tender about a child's heart that each one of us needs to understand. And, and isn't that a picture of God who comes and stands behind us and said, I've got you. Go ahead, child. I'm right behind you. You can do it. You can do it. And isn't that what God wants us to reflect as we serve him in this world with those who are helpless and hopeless? That you come alongside and you said, you can do it. I'll help you. I'm right behind you. Go ahead. You can do it. This week, the church received a thank you note from a family who stayed at Hope House as guests of the Hoosiers Care Ministry. They were here for cancer treatment. And they wrote back overwhelmed with gratitude for the hospitality of the people on that team who opened the doors of these homes and say, come on in, we're glad that you're here. We're sorry that you're here for cancer treatment, but let us make this feel like home. We're right behind you. You can do this. And they wrote back saying how close they felt to this congregation as a result. I'm so grateful that there were a group of people a few years ago who saw this need for those who came for this hopeful treatment and said, we're just going to do something about it. And they did it. 
We got a note this week from our friends at Bunker Hill Christian Church for the funds that we've been able to send them that they've used to help tornado victims in the Henryville area. When the tragedy occurred, you gave and you went. You decided to just do it, and it has made a great difference. And so with your actions and with your words, you have encouraged those who were hurting. You've gotten behind them and said, we're behind you. We're right behind you. You can do this. And James adds as he closes this out, in the process of doing good, make sure you keep on being good. He put it this way, don't let your own life be polluted by the world. Our society has come a long way in stemming the tide of pollution from restoring rivers to recycled, reusable resources. We continue to make progress. As Christians, I think we ought to lead the way in caring for God's world in a balanced sort of way, but in all of our efforts to leave no stone unturned regarding pollution problems, we've overlooked sometimes the biggest stone in the middle of the road, personal pollution, spiritual inner pollution. Has your life become a polluted landfill inside your heart and mind? Do you have some cleaning up of some toxic waste to do? How can you help others if you haven't helped yourself? In the process of doing good, don't stop being good, James says. It's time to just do it. Clean it up so that you are who you need to be, so that you can help those who are helpless. In this text, James has had a lot to say about listening. Sometimes we don't listen enough. Sometimes that's all we do. But his most important point is it's who you listen to that makes the difference. Are you listening to God? That's the one you really need to be hearing. Have you ever noticed in a basketball game there can be thousands of people screaming at the top of their lungs in in the gymnasium? I've been to assembly hall when my ears ring. The noise is so deafening, my ears hurt. But I've noticed that despite the decibel level, the players on the court can always seem to understand the coach's instructions shouted from the sidelines. It's not that he's louder than anybody else. It's not that they have better hearing than anybody else. It's just the voice they're trained to hear. They've spent hours and hours in practice listening, listening to that voice, the coach's voice. And when that voice speaks, it drowns out all the other chaos. Understand this. God wants you to hear him above all else. He speaks through the deafening noise and the chaos in your life, and that's the voice that you need to hear. It's the voice I need to hear. So train yourself to listen to him. And when you hear his word, just do it. Are you here without him as your Savior this morning? Today's the day you just need to do it.